And welcome to Next Reads, a podcast where we read the first chapter of a young adult or middle grade book to help you figure out what to read next. This podcast might contain language or situations some readers might find offensive or unsettling. The North Liberty Library does not necessarily endorse any author's views, but it does support the freedom of speech and the freedom to read. I'm your host, Kayla, the Youth and Teen Services Librarian at the North Liberty Library. My pronouns are she and her. Welcome, listeners. Today, I'm going to be reading from You'll Be the Death of Me by Karen M. McManus. Our author is a number one New York Times bestselling author of twisty YA thrillers like the One of Us is Lying series and Two Can Keep a Secret. The book that we're going to be reading today is a young adult book published in 2021, and the summary is... Ivy, Mateo, and Cal used to be close. Now all they have in common is Carleton High and the beginning of a very bad day. Type A Ivy lost a school council election to the class clown, and now she has to face the school, humiliated. Heartthrob Mateo is burned out. He's been working two jobs since his family's business failed, and outsider Cal just got stood up again. So when Cal pulls into campus late for class, and runs into Ivy and Mateo, it seems like the perfect opportunity to turn a bad day around. They'll ditch and go into the city, just the three of them, like old times. Except they've barely left the parking lot before they run out of things to say. Until they spot another Carlton High student skipping school and follow him to the scene of his own murder. In one chance move, their day turns from dull to deadly, and it's about to get worse. It turns out Ivy, Mateo, and Cal still have some things in common. They all have a connection to the dead kid, and they're all hiding something. Now they're wondering, could it be that their chance reconnection wasn't by chance after all? Ooh. So this is a mystery thriller. It's very much a Ferris Bueller's day off with murder that goes horribly wrong. And if that doesn't make you want to read this book, I'm not sure what will. This is also an Iowa High School Book Award choice. Some content warnings are cheating, death and murder, obviously, drug use, and racism. Please take care of yourself first. And without further ado, let's read the first chapter. Chapter 1, Ivy. I respect a good checklist, but I'm beginning to think my mother went overboard. Sorry, what page, I ask, flipping through the handout at our kitchen table while mom watches me expectantly via Skype. The heading reads, Sterling Shepherd 20th Anniversary Trip, Instructions for Ivy and Daniel. And it's 11 pages total, double-sided. My mother planned the first time she and dad ever left me and my brother alone, for four days, with the same thoroughness and military precision she brings to everything. Between the checklist and the frequent calls over Skype and FaceTime, it's like they never left. Nine, mom says, her blonde hair is pulled back in her signature French twist and her makeup is perfect even though it's barely 5 a.m. in San Francisco. My parents' flight home doesn't take off for another three and a half hours, but mom is never anything but prepared. Right after the lighting section, Ah, the lighting section. My brother Daniel sighs dramatically from across the table as he overfills a bowl with lucky charms. Daniel, despite being 16, has the cereal tastes 
of a toddler. I would have thought we could turn them on when we need them and off when we don't. I was wrong. So very, very wrong. A well-lit house deters break-ins, mom says, like we don't live on a street where the closest thing we've ever witnessed to a criminal act is kids riding bicycles without a helmet. I keep my eye roll to myself though because it's impossible to win an argument against my mother. She teaches applied statistics at MIT and has the up-to-the-minute data for everything. It's why I'm thumbing through her checklist for the section on CCY award ceremony. A list of to-dos and preparation for mom being named the Carleton Citizen of the Year, thanks to her contribution to a statewide report on opioid abuse. Found it, I say, quickly scanning the page for anything I might have missed. I picked up your dress from the dry cleaner yesterday, so that's all set. That's what I wanted to talk to you about, mom says. Our plane is supposed to land at 5.30. Theoretically, with the award ceremony starting at 7, that's enough time to come home and change. But I just realized I never told you what to do if we're running late. I need to go straight from the airport to Mackenzie Hall. Um, I meet her penetrating gaze through my laptop screen. Couldn't you just, you know, text me? If that happens, I will if I can, but you should probably sign up for a flight alerts in case the plane Wi-Fi isn't working. Mom says, we couldn't get a signal the entire way over. Anyway, if we don't touch down before six, I'd like you to meet us there and bring the dress. I'll need shoes and jewelry too. Do you have a pen handy? I'll tell you which ones. Daniel helps himself to more cereal, and I try to suppress my usual low simmering resentment of my brother as I hastily scribble notes. Half my life was spent wondering why I had to work twice as hard as Daniel at everything, but in this case, I asked for it. Before my parents left, I insisted on handling every aspect of the ward ceremony, mainly because I was afraid that if I didn't, my mother would realize she had made a mistake by asking me, not Daniel, to introduce her. My wonderkind brother, who skipped a grade and is currently outshining me in every aspect of our senior year, would have been the logical choice. Part of me can't help but think mom regrets her decision, especially after yesterday when my one and only claim to school fame was brutally torpedoed. My stomach rolls as I drop the pen and push my empty cereal bowl away. Mom, ever alert, catches the motion. Ivy, I'm sorry, I'm keeping you from breakfast, aren't I? It's fine, I'm not hungry. You have to eat though, she urges. Have some toast or fruit. The thought doesn't appeal even a little. I can't. Mom's forehead scrunches in concern. You're not getting sick, are you? Before I have a chance to reply, Daniel loudly fake coughs, <clears throat> bony. I glare daggers at him, then glance at mom on screen to see if she catches the reference. Of course she did. Oh, honey, she says, her expression turning sympathetic with a touch of exasperation. You're not still thinking about the election, are you? No, I lie. The election yesterday's debacle, where I, Ivy Sterling Shepard, three-time class president, lost the senior year election to Brian Boney Mahoney, who ran as a joke. His slogan was literally, vote for Boney and I'll leave you alone. Okay, fine, it's catchy. But now Boney is class president? and really will do nothing. Whereas I had all kinds of plans to improve student life at Carleton High. I've been working with a local farm share on bringing organic options to the salad bar. 
I'm with one of the guidance counselors on a mediation program to resolve disputes between students, not to mention a resource sharing partnership with the Carleton Library so our school library could offer ebooks and audiobooks along with hard copies. I was even looking into holding a senior class blood drive for Carleton Hospital, despite the fact that I faint at the sight of needles. But in the end, nobody cared about any of that. So today, at exactly 10 a.m., Boney is going to give his presidential victory speech to the senior class. If it's anything like our debates, it will mostly consist of long, confused pauses between fart jokes. I've been trying to put on a brave face, but it hurts. Student government was my thing. The only activity I've ever been better at than Daniel. Well, not better, exactly, since he never bothered to run for anything, but still, it was mine. Mom gives me a look that says, time for some tough love. It's one of her most powerful looks. Right after, don't you dare take that tone with me. Honey, I know how disappointed you are, but you can't dwell or you'll make yourself sick. Who's sick? My father's voice booms from someplace in their hotel room. A second later, he emerges from the bathroom, dressed in travel-ready casual clothes, rubbing his salt and pepper hair with a towel. I hope it's not you, Samantha, not with a six-hour flight ahead of us. I'm perfectly fine, James. I'm talking to... Dad approaches the desk where Mom is sitting. Is it Daniel? Daniel, did he pick something up at the club? I hear there was a rash of food poisoning over the weekend. Yeah, but I don't eat there, Daniel said. Dad recently got my brother a job at a country club. He helped develop in the next town over. Although Daniel is only a busboy, he makes a fortune in tips. Even if he had eaten bad shellfish... He'd probably drag himself into work anyway, if only to keep adding to his collection of overpriced sneakers. As usual, I'm an afterthought in the Sterling Shepherd household. I half expect my father to inquire about our dog Mila before he gets to me. Nobody's sick, I say, as his face comes into focus over mom's shoulder. I'm just, I was wondering if maybe I could go to school a little later today, like 11 or so. Dad's brows shoot up in surprise. I haven't been absent for a single hour of my entire high school career. It's not that I never get sick. It's just that I've always had to work so hard to stay on top of classes that I live in constant fear of falling behind. The only time I ever willingly missed school was way back in sixth grade when I spontaneously slipped out of a boring field trip at the Massachusetts Horticultural Society with two boys from my class who, at the time, I didn't know all that well. We were seated close to an exit and at a particularly dull point in the lecture, Cal O'Shea Wallace started inching toward the auditorium door. Cal was the only kid in our class with two dads, and I always secretly wanted to be friends with him because he was funny and had a hyphenated last name like me and wore brightly patterned shirts that I found oddly mesmerizing. He caught my eye and then the eye of the kid next to me, Mateo, and made a beckoning motion with one hand. Mateo and I exchanged glances and shrugged, why not, and followed. I thought we'd just linger guiltily in the hallway for a minute, but the outdoor exit was right there. When Mateo pushed it open, we stepped into bright sunshine and a literal parade that happened to be passing by to celebrate a recent Red Sox championship. We melted into the crowd instead of returning to our seats and spent two hours wandering around Boston on our own. We even made it back to the Horticultural Society without anyone realizing we'd been gone. The whole experience, Cal called it the greatest day ever, created a fast friendship between the three of us that, at the time, seemed like it would last forever. It lasted till eighth grade, which is almost the same in kid years. Why 11 o'clock? 
Dad's voice yanks me back to the present as Mom twists in her chair to look at him. The post-election assembly is this morning, she says. Ah, Dad sighs. His handsome features settling into a sympathetic expression. Ivy, what happened yesterday is a shame, but it's no reflection on your worth or ability. That wasn't the first time a buffoon had been handed an office he doesn't deserve, and it won't be the last. All you can do is hold your head high. Absolutely, Mom nods so vigorously that a strand of hair nearly escapes her French twist, but not quite. It wouldn't dare. Besides, I wouldn't be surprised if Brian ends up resigning when all is said and done. He's not really cut out for student government, is he? Once the novelty wears off, you can take his place. Sure, Dad says cheerfully, like being Boney Mahoney's cleanup crew wouldn't be a mortifying way to become a class president. And remember, Ivy, anticipation is often worse than reality. I bet today won't be nearly as bad as you think. He puts a hand on the back of Mom's chair, and they smile in unison, framed like a photograph within my laptop, as they wait for me to agree. They're the perfect team. Mom, cool and analytical. Dad, warm and exuberant. Both of them positive that they're always right. The problem with my parents is that they never failed at anything. Samantha Sterling and James Shepard have been a power couple since they met at Columbia Business School, even though my dad dropped out six months later when he decided he'd rather flip houses. He started here in his hometown of Carleton, a close-in suburb of Boston that turned trendy almost as soon as dad acquired a couple of run-down old Victorians. Now, 20 years later, he's one of those recession-proof real estate developers who always manages to buy low and sell high. Bottom line, neither of them understand what it's like to need a day off, or even just a morning. I can't bring myself to keep complaining in the face of their combined optimism, though. I know, I say, suppressing a sigh. I was kidding. Good, Mom said, with an approving nod. And what are you wearing tonight? The dress Aunt Helen sent, I say, feeling a flicker of enthusiasm return. My mother's much older sister might be pushing 60, but she has excellent taste and lots of discretionary income thanks to the hundreds of thousands of romance novels she sells every year. Her latest gift is from a Belgian designer I've never heard of before, and it's the most fashionable thing I've ever owned. Tonight will be the first time I've worn it outside my bedroom. What about shoes? I don't own shoes that do the dress justice, but that can't be helped. Maybe Aunt Helen will come through on those when she sells her next book. Black Heels, Perfect, Mom says. Now, in terms of dinner, make sure you don't wait for us since we're cutting it so close. You could unfreeze some of the chili or... I'm going to Olive Garden with Trevor, Daniel interrupts, after the cross practice. Mom frowns. Are you sure you'll have time for that? That's my brother's cue to change his plans, but he doesn't take it. Totally. Mom looks ready to protest, but Dad wraps his knuckles on the desk before she can. Better sign off, Samantha, he says. You still have to pack. Right, Mom sighs. She hates to rush when it comes to packing. So I think we're done until she adds, One last thing, Ivy, do you have your remarks for the ceremony already? Yeah, of course. I'd spent most of the weekend working on them. I emailed them yesterday, remember? Oh, I know, they're wonderful. I just meant... For the first time since speaking, Mom looks unsure of herself, which almost never happens. You're going to bring a hard copy with you, right? I know how you... I know how you can get nervous in front of a crowd sometimes. My stomach tightens. It's in my backpack. Daniel, Dad barks suddenly. Turn the computer, Ivy. I want to talk to your brother. What? Why? Daniel asks defensively as I spin the laptop. 
my cheeks starting to burn with remembered humiliation, I know it's coming. Listen, son, I can't see dad anymore, but I can picture him trying to put on his stern face. Despite his best efforts, it's not even a little bit intimidating. I need you to promise that you will not, under any circumstance, mess with your sister's notes. Dad, I wouldn't. God. Daniel slumps in his chair, rolling his eyes exaggeratedly, and it takes everything in me not to throw my cereal bowl at his head. Can everyone please get over that? It was supposed to be a joke. I didn't think she'd actually read the damn thing. That's not a promise, Dad says. This is a big night for your mother, and you know how much you upset your sister last time. If they keep talking about this, I really will throw up. Dad, it's fine, I say tightly. It was just a stupid prank. I'm over it. You don't sound over it, Dad points out. Correctly. I turn my laptop back toward me and pace on a smile. I am, really. It's old news. Based on my father's dubious expression, he doesn't believe me. And he shouldn't. Compared to yesterday's fresh humiliation, sure. What happened last spring is old news, but I am not in any way, shape, or form over it. The irony is it wasn't even a particularly important speech. I was supposed to make closing remarks at the junior class spring talent show, and I knew everyone's attention would be wandering. Still, I had the whole thing written down like I always do because public speaking makes me nervous and I didn't want to forget anything. What I didn't realize until I was standing on stage in front of the entire class was that Daniel had stolen my notes and replaced them with something else. A page from Aunt Helen's latest erotic firefighter novel, The Fire Within, and I just went into some sort of panicked state where I actually read it out loud. First to confuse silence as people thought I was part of the show, then to hysterical laughter when they realized I wasn't. A teacher finally had to rush the stage to stop me, right around the time I was describing the hero in full anatomical detail. I still don't understand how it happened, how my brain could have frozen while my mouth kept running, but it did, and it was mortifying, especially since there's no doubt in my mind that it represents the exact moment when the entire school started thinking of me as a joke. Boney Mahoney just made it official. Dad is still lecturing my brother even though he can't see him anymore. Your aunt is a brilliant creative force, Daniel. If you have half of the professional success that she does someday, you'll be a lucky man. I know, Daniel mutters. Speaking of which, I noticed that before we left that she sent an advanced copy of You Can't Take the Heat. I better not hear a word of that tonight or I'll... Dad, stop. I interrupt. Nothing is going to go wrong. Tonight will be perfect. I force certainty into my voice as I meet my mother's eyes, which are wide and worried, like they're reflecting all of my recent failures. I need to get back on track and erase that look once and for all. It'll be everything you deserve, Mom. I promise. And that is the end of chapter one. This book is written in multi perspective, so the next chapter is going to be from Matteo's point of view, and then the chapter after that will be from Cal's. So you don't like Ivy's voice, you will get to hear a couple of other voices. But what do you think will happen next? We know from the summary that they each have a secret and that someone gets murdered. So who do you think the murderer is going to be? What do you think their secrets are? What do you think Ivy's is? I hope you found that chapter intriguing enough to check it out. If not, there's always another book just waiting to be discovered. You can check this book out as a physical book in our library as well as digitally as an ebook and an e-audiobook through Libby. 
If you need any help with your library card or our ebook system, feel free to let us know. We're always happy to help. Please check the show notes for some read-alikes of other mystery thrillers. Thank you for listening. Join me next time for another Next Reads. Next Reads.